Well, thank you, Mike, and uh, good morning again. Near the beginning of the film Sliding Doors, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow rushes towards an underground train trying to get on it before the doors close. Some of you have seen it. And um, the question is, will she board the train or not? At that moment, the, the, the film splits into two storylines. One in which she does board the train and the other in which she doesn't. And the film then tracks those two storylines and their various ups and downs and various things that uh, happen and the eventual outcome all based on that apparently trivial question about would the doors close a split second later or a split second sooner than they actually did. If you are a husband or a wife or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a fiancé or can think about your best friend, I wonder how many of you would say would, thinking back to when you first met that person, you know, it all happened with an apparently trivial coincidence, a chance meeting, perhaps. Thinking back, just a quick show of hands, how many would, would be able to sort of say it, was, it seemed almost a random coincidence that we met in the first place? Quite a lot of us. So I'm just looking at Sarah. Because <laughs> I think so. I won't tell you the story now. Um, um, but um, something, uh, another conversation starter, perhaps at the end of the service, <laughs> to ask each other about when you met your, uh, your, uh, your loved one. Or indeed, the moment, think back to when you first became or considered becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. In that case, too, I could track that back to an apparently random coincidence. And again, I can see some heads nodding. Let's get rid of Gwyneth. So we're in Ruth chapter 2. And if I can just point you to... Verse 3. And the words, as it turned out. Now the scholars tell me that's a quite a polite translation. We would put it something like this. As luck would have it. But that doesn't sound pious enough, does it? <laughs> as chance would have it. And yet, on that Incidents, Ruth, happening to find herself gleaning, collecting up the scraps of barley in a, roof, in a field that belongs to this man Boaz. In a single day, her fortunes and those of her mother-in-law, Naomi, begin to turn right round. They begin the day 
sorrowful, destitute. They end the day full of hope. What a difference a day makes. And that's after 10 years or more of bitter disappointment. So please make sure you have a Bible open with me. It's page 268 at Ruth chapter 2. And I want us to look at this chapter with this theme in mind. I see grace, I see God's grace working in this chapter. And of course by grace we mean unmerited favour, undeserved kindness. And I believe that we see God's grace working in this chapter. And is given through this man Boaz and as it's received by Ruth. Grace given and received. Let's look at each of these in turn. We see grace given by Boaz, who makes a fresh entry into the story in verse 1. Uh, of of chapter 2. We're introduced. If this was a detective story, uh, we would be (laughs) drip-fed the information about Boaz. The storyteller, whoever he or she is, and I've got a secret suspicion it's a woman, uh, not quite sure why, um, but um, the storyteller wants us to know from the outset of this chapter, this man is going to be key in the unfolding of God's plan for these two women, Naomi and Ruth. We can't help just introducing the spoiler again and saying all these things that affect Naomi and Ruth and Boaz are in the end going to affect the entire world. Nothing is ever going to be the same again because it just so happened (laughs) that Ruth was gleaning in the field of Boaz. So let's look at Boaz and the way he reflects God's grace, favour, kindness. First of all, he's a man of unique integrity. From the first time he speaks to the last time he speaks, from the first, his first action to his last action, he's a man of, of honour, of integrity, of justice and of kindness. Now, why I call it unique is to remind you of the first verse of the book of Ruth that reminds us that all this took place in the days of the judges. You only read the preceding book of of Judges to realize what chaotic and ungodly days those were. So from about the 17th chapter of Judges, right to the end of Ruth. There's only one man who has real and consistent integrity, and that's Boaz. Just think about it for a moment. Are you the only follower of Jesus in a home situation, which is quite chaotic, or in a neighborhood, which is quite chaotic, or in a workplace which is quite chaotic, or in a place of learning and study which is quite chaotic. Do you have, do I have, the integrity to stand up, sorry, I'm going to mix metaphors here, 
swim against the tide, <laughs> pardon me, <laughs> um, and have integrity in chaotic times. This man did. Secondly, Boaz has God's heart for the stranger. In verse 5, do you see that? He notices there's a stranger in his field. He doesn't say, I don't know her, get her out of my field. He says, whose woman is that? I'm not quite sure what he means. Perhaps he assumes that he, she's a servant. And I was thinking, well, who, whose servant is she? I'm not quite sure. But by verse 12, he's soon referring to her as my daughter. He has, I think he's an older man, uh, from what we read later. And uh, he's soon speaking to her, very soon speaking to her, with, the, with fatherly protectiveness. And by verse 12, because even though he didn't recognize her at first in his field, he's heard of her by reputation and knows her character, he says in verse 12, may the Lord richly reward you. The Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take shelter. What a beautiful expression that is, to come and take shelter under the wings of the God of Israel, the one true and living God. And yet the funny thing is that in a sense, Boaz is God's wings. Do you see that? God is going to protect Ruth and show his kindness for Ruth by using Boaz, this man of integrity. But I say that Boaz has God's heart for the stranger because Boaz knows God's law, knows the wisdom and the goodness of God's law. That's why, for example, he knows there's a law that allows people like Ruth to glean, to gather scraps in his field. That's allowed for, uh, for poor people in the law. But the law also says this. Please listen carefully. The Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords. The great, mighty, and awesome God who is unbiased and takes no bribe who justly treats the orphan and widow, and who loves resident foreigners, giving them food and clothing. So, says the Lord, you, my people, must love the resident foreigner, because you are foreigners in the land of Egypt. So you see that that Boaz is following the heart of God. seems to me, with uh, all of this discussion about the way the Windrush generation have been let down, that this country could learn some striking lessons and reflect deeply, not only on how it has let members of that generation down, but on how it treats other asylum seekers, other migrants, other refugees. When we seek to welcome here at Holy Trinity our refugee friends, we are following the heart of God. As Boaz did. But thirdly, Boaz is a man who has the right and the ability and it will turn out the willingness to transform this situation. Will you look with me at verse 20? 
there is a curate expression they use, which is, to, which is used by Naomi to describe uh, Boaz. We also already know that he's um, a relative of, uh, of Naomi's uh, late husband, Elimelech. But now Boaz is referred to as one of our kinsmen, Redeemers. That's the first mention, and there'll be 20 more, I think, before this short book of Ruth is, is, is finished. So hold on to that word, kinsman, redeemer. Briefly, it means that when uh, a man had died, as Naomi's husband had died, that man's brother or other near relative could marry his widow and keep and protect that man's name and estate and family line and heritage. That's, in a nutshell, what the law enabled uh, to happen in the case of a kinsman redeemer. Watch out for that, more of that, in chapters uh, 3 and 4. Boaz, therefore, has the right to help this situation. But he also has the ability uh, to transform the situation. He's a man of standing. We heard about that in verse 1. He is a man of resources, a man probably of some wealth and some standing. He's also, even though I think he's not a young man particularly, he's also unmarried. That's going to help. <laughs> Will he have the willingness... Well, we'll have to wait and see. But all of this, in all of this, Boaz points us to our saviour, Jesus Christ. Boaz had unique unique, uh, integrity in his own day and time. The Lord Jesus has unique uh, integrity in all of time. And in the entire population of the world, he stands out as utterly unique. Which of you, he challenges accusers, which of you accuses me of sin? Utterly unique. Jesus had and has God's heart for the stranger. He welcomed the poor, the destitute, the disabled, the sick, the Syrophoenician woman, the Samaritan woman, the, the, the Roman centurion. He welcomed them. The more needy they were, the more he welcomed them. And now he sends us out, his people, to the four corners of the world or to our own neighbourhood to similarly welcome and love and embrace the foreigner, the stranger in our midst. Jesus has the right, the ability, and certainly the willingness to transform our situation, to transform our hearts and our lives. Just think of his, type, his full title, the Lord Jesus Christ. As Christ, Christ means Messiah, he has been anointed and appointed by God for his work. He has the right. As Lord, all power and authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. So he certainly has the ability to transform lives. And Jesus has, uh, and he is Jesus. The word Jesus means saviour. Because he has come, it's in his very, ni- in his very nature to, to reach out and to rescue poor sinners.
grace given through God, uh, by God, through, uh, uh, through, through Boaz, pointing us to Jesus. And now, grace received by Ruth. What does Ruth do? She seizes the initiative, verse 2. She knows that God's law provides for a widow like her to go into a field, and as long as the owner uh, will allow her, and not get in the way, to allow her to pick up scraps of barley, uh, scraps of corn. And she does that. I wonder why she goes and Naomi doesn't. Was it that Naomi was too much in despair to think that anything would do any good anymore? I don't know. Ruth knows what she needs. She's looking in verse 2 for anyone in whose eyes I find favour. She's looking for kindness. She doesn't stand on her rights. She doesn't Plead, look what I've been through. I deserve a break. God owes it to me. She's looking for kindness. Verse 10, she responds likewise with gratitude. Why have I found, she says to Boaz, such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? And then we find that she receives far more than she asks or imagines. What she asks for in verse 2 are the leftovers. She just wants to be allowed to scavenge for bits of, of, uh, of barley that, been, that have been dropped by the harvesters. What she receives, verse 8, is respect. Verse 9, protection. Also in verse 9, refreshment. In verse 14, acceptance. I mean, she's invited to lunch with, the, with Boaz and the rest of the harvesters. That isn't just... Eating, eating together is never just about calories, is it? It's about being accepted. It's about being loved. And, and she's accepted by Boaz and his group. And so in verse 17 and 18, she receives abundant provision. It's almost comical, verse 17. She thought she would get just a little bag of scraps... What she ends up with is um, an, an ether. Now, we're not quite sure how much is an ether, but it's certainly a big rucksack full. I mean, the kind of rucksack that you'd need if you were backpacking. I mean, a heavy weight. So imagine her strolling home with this big sack full of barley over, over her back uh, over, and a doggy bag in her hand. Because there's more left over from lunch as, lunch as well that she, that she can give to Naomi. She has more than enough. Well, and that's just like us. We too must take the initiative in the sense of realizing our need of God's grace. The biggest killer of grace, of receiving grace, I believe in this day, is indifference really have time to think about it. I think I can probably manage without it. God, yeah, there might be a God. I don't say there isn't. But I'm not sure that I really need him. Ruth knows her need. 
She knows her need is not one of claiming her rights, but of claiming a favour, asking a favour. She responds with gratitude, and she receives, and, and we too receive far more than we ask or think. Many of you will know where that allusion comes from. But I know what you're thinking. At least I know what some of you are thinking. I don't think it's that easy. If only you knew, this is you talking to me now, if only you knew what I've been going through, you would realise that it's not easy. And you're thinking to yourself, I think, perhaps, I know I'm supposed to be able to read God's handwriting in my life, but I can't. It's too fuzzy. I can't see him or feel him working. Let's, let me just seek some help from a good friend of mine, a Puritan. Oops. Who said this? What? <laughs> Shall we try it together? First word? Some. Well done, yes. Some providences like Hebrew, you're very good at this, <laughs> Let, like Hebrew letters must be read backwards. <laughs> you see what he means? He says, at the time, it's often very difficult to discern what God is saying and doing. Looking back, then yes, we often can say, yes, God was in this place. And I knew it not at the time. Back to verse 3. At the time, it sounds like, as it turned out. Now, Hebrew writers, Jewish thinkers, didn't believe in chance any more than you do. But I think that the writer puts it like that, as it turned out, because that's how it seemed to Ruth at the time. But by verse 20, even Naomi is saying the Lord has not stopped showing his kindness. She can look back over all that's happened, including her days of bitterness and emptiness, and now see enough of God's grace to know that God has never forgotten them, even through the darkest days. Grace received, then, contains within itself the promise of grace to come. If you are struggling to feel or experience grace at the moment, struggling to understand God's ways in your life at the moment, look back at what God has already done. Look back especially to what God has done for you and for me in the cross of Christ. For he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, that's what God has already done. He has already given the ultimate gift. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? All things not that we want or expect, but all things that he knows in his wisdom we truly need. We've talked about grace given and received. And our Lord himself said, have you received grace at no cost to you at all? Then give it. Let us pray.
I don't believe that Boaz could have given such grace if he had not already received it. And I know that Ruth, having received grace, was also a grace giver. Lord Jesus, may we breathe in and out of your good grace, receiving it with gratitude, returning it back with, with, with great love and generosity. And now I close with a little prayer of a great Christian leader called Charles Simeon. What is before us, we know not, whether we shall live or die. But this we know, that all things are ordered and sure. Everything is ordered with unerring wisdom and unbounded, unbounded love by you, our God, the God of love. Grant us in all things to see your hand, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.